to begin new study this morning, and if you have a Bible, we'd like to look in the uh, book of Corinthians. You want to turn there with us this morning <clears throat> and begin a new thought. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7, and then once you get that, you might want to look at Psalm uh, 105 verse Seventeen, if you'd like to turn there as well. Have a uh, very rich Bible imagery concerning earthenware vessels. And uh, these are the, the pots of clay. These are the uh, instruments or the vessels that are uh, referred to in Scripture uh, that are likened to our lives. Four of the uh, Bible's main authors, uh, we got Isaiah and Jeremiah, Zechariah and Paul, all pick up a very, very rich uh, imagery, understanding uh, of being formed and fashioned and uh, functioning in the will and purposes of God. Now, these earthenware vessels that they're taking uh, their imagery from are the common jars of the household. They're clay pots that were used in the household, a number of different... Uh, Ones are mentioned in Scripture, and we're going to uh, hit them and uh, deal with them uh, to a degree. I want to uh, just focus our minds in for a moment on that. Somebody read for us 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. We want to use this as our uh, text and as our Scripture uh, reference, and, uh, and look at that. Somebody read that for us, real good, clear, loud voice. Okay, we have this treasure... In earthen vessels. The excellency of the power might be of us, or might be of God and not of us. Amen. Okay, so here's, uh, here's what these men recognize. Let me just uh, uh, lay this out for you for a moment. Understand something. As God uses this, we have, we're an earthenware jar. We're made out of uh, clay. We're made out of the dirt of the earth. We're the dust of the earth. And so we're fashioned. And these men, Isaiah and Jeremiah, Zechariah, Paul, and many others, uh, recognized they were the clay. Now, they understood that there was something about them. They're talking about in our modern uh, Seen, they'd call it. Uh, we have genes. We have. We've inherited some things. We've picked up some stuff. We've uh, come onto the earth, or in the Bible uh, uh, language and uh, symbol, uh, we're talking about Adam, the first man. And so we have inherited from Adam the word Adam, uh, meaning earth, and referring to the redness of the earth and the clay. Uh, and so uh, the first man, in particular, his sin, that's a broad term. It has to do with our natural inclinations, our baseness, our tendency to twist and distort everything because of the sin nature. And so they understood, number one, they're the clay. Okay, They are the clay. All of these Bible authors understood that. They understood something about the wheel. And so uh, this is not only our way birthed into uh, our own inheritance, things that we've picked up, things that we've learned, but uh, we're thrown or cast onto this wheel that is spinning. And so this is uh, our environment, this is life, this is the chaos, this is the spinning, dizzying uh, aspect of our lives, uh, our trying to uh, get things uh, under control and operate and function. 
And uh, the environment is, uh, is the chaos and the rush of events were cast onto this wheel. And the imagery is that God is the potter. I want you to grasp this because it's very important. Uh, the clay can do nothing on its own. Okay, It cannot fashion, cannot form itself if it is cast onto the wheel. The wheel is spinning and uh, that, that clay is not going to be fashioned into anything of use. It's going to uh, simply spread out, remain a blob, uh, you know, just a big pile of mud, amen, uh, uh, looks like a pile of dung most of the time, and so uh, it's not functioning until something begins to grasp it and begins to fashion it. That's where God comes in. He takes His thumbs and He sticks His thumbs right down in the middle of our lives, Okay? And he squeezes on our lives and sticks his forefingers, his other fingers there, and begins to fashion and mold us. Now, there's an important reality here. No one, then, is a self-made man. Okay? No one is functioning in that dimension. The clay cannot do it alone. Life will simply destroy it. There are no self-made men. All are fashioned uh, out of their earthen characteristics and their lives by the potter and fashioned into a vessel of honor and a vessel of usefulness. So we want to take a, a few weeks, a few uh, short weeks, and uh, take a look at some people in the Word of God. We're going to look at characters. We're going to look at actual human beings and uh, just kind of work through some things with them. Jeremiah learned at the potter's house uh, some things about his own life. And so we can learn by looking at human beings uh, some things about our lives. Now, there's some reasons for, for doing this. And so I want you to kind of uh, focus in. We're going to do some character studies or some brief sketches about people in the Word of God. And so one of the things that's interesting is that the Bible is God's self-revelation. Okay, God's revealed Himself through His Word. And it's very interesting that as you read through the Word of God, you pick up constantly these stories of human beings. Okay, God has chosen to reveal Himself largely through people. God works with people. God operates with people. God does His will through people on the earth. And so as you read these stories and you read these things in the, in the Bible, you begin to understand something. God's revealing Himself, and He's doing that largely through His dealings with people. God is working. God is functioning. God is fashioning human lives. Another thing that is interesting, God's done that, but human nature is, uh, what could we say, remarkably consistent. Can we say that? <laughs> Human nature is remarkably consistent. And so when you begin to look at these folks in the Word of God, uh, what we do is we actually meet ourselves. Okay? That's, uh, we come face to face with who you and I are. And it's uh, interesting to, uh, to deal with this, uh, this aspect of life because most of the time 
Uh, we want to claim, well, we're a new generation, or we're a new breed, or we're a new... Uh, we got some things that other people didn't have, and we... Uh, yeah, well, they, that was back then, but this is now. And so, uh, what's amazing is that we remain rather consistent. And uh, if you, uh, I don't know if you picked up on any of the uh, things that uh, Jane Austen was an author of a couple of hundred years ago. And so her uh, Pride and Prejudice is uh, making a run again in the bookstores. Uh, uh, Sense and Sensibilities and uh, another uh, one of her books, Persuasion, I think, are now being made into movies. And so here's, uh, here's an author who died uh, a couple of hundred years ago. And yet it's very popular today. And the reason is because the characters and the themes of life that are in her novels and in, in that dimension, they remain the same. And, and people like to read about that. People pick up on that. Shakespeare, I preached a number of years ago on Hamlet and uh, made this statement. Uh, here's Hamlet. He's wrestling. Well, should I do this? Yeah, I should do this. And then he says, well, if I do that, then that'll happen. And so he's constantly putting off the issues of life. He's a procrastinator, uh, among other things. And so uh, he's uh, constantly in his mind. He runs his whole life in his mind and never does anything with his life. So here in Hamlet, there's, uh, the statement was made, there's a little Hamlet in all of us and a lot of Hamlet in some of us. And so these things are enduring and still studied today because they deal with human beings and things about human beings that are remarkably consistent and the Word of God is even more so. Okay? deals with human beings and human nature's remarkable consistency. Let's get a couple of scriptures uh, uh, while you hold your thumb there in Psalm 105. Somebody get for us Psalm 103. Somebody volunteer and get that for us right here. Tony, if you'd get that for us. Psalm 103, verse 7 and verse 14. Psalm 139. Somebody get that for us. Somebody, hello, quickly. Amen, right here. Psalm 139. Somebody get for us James 5. Verse 17, over here. Uh, Mike's over there. Mike Solano. Praise God. So not only is human nature consistent, but so is God. God is consistent as well, and how He deals with human beings uh, remains largely the same. So here's some scriptures. Psalm 103, verse 7. Okay, God made known His ways to Moses. That's a person. And His acts to the children of of Israel, uh, verse 14 of Psalm 103. Okay, so God knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Psalm 139, uh, verses 13 through 16, real loud for us. Okay, you've uh, made me fearfully and wonderfully made by God. And so here's a reality that God is working and fashioning and forming our lives before we even are here. Okay? God is at work to do something in this generation. James 5.17. Okay. And Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. As one of Elijah's great points of depression in his life, by the way, is when he sat under the 
tree out in the wilderness. He said, it's enough. And so most of us know the story. God, that's, I'm, forget it. I'm out of here. Take my life. And he makes a very interesting statement. He says, I am not better than my father's. Or I'm like everybody else. And so all of us come to this place where we begin to understand, you know what? This an earthen vessel. This an earthen vessel that God is wanting to do something with. Ralph Turnbull, let me give you a quote, a couple of quotes, and then we'll uh, see if you have any questions or comments. Uh, There's a certain characteristic common to all that we call geniuses, great men, and other heroes. Each of them has a consciousness of being a man apart, chosen very expressly by God for a certain work. Now listen carefully. Men and women of destiny, near the end of their life, recorded or they wrote down words which indicate their conviction that the entire of their life had meaning. They were conscious of a divine providence which shaped and molded their lives for a definite goal. Now, here's people that have made a mark on the earth. And they said there's something, as they begin to look back at their life, they'll be able to, able to look back and be able to see things, uh, and they're, they're aware that there's been a potter that has been shaping their life. There's been a potter that has bringing them to a place of destiny, something that is unique to them, something that is chosen for them, something that belongs to them, and their entire life is being molded, being put into a place where they can find their destiny. Now, that's one end of the scale. Thank God for the potter, amen, who's working and shaping our lives. The other end of the scale is, hey, this an earthen pot. Okay, and so that uh, Charles uh, Spurgeon uh, says in his famous uh, lecture, "A minister's fainting fits." Never knew ministers had fainting fits, did you? You thought they just had fits, amen. And they do that for sure. Said <laughs> so the strong. When you look at these earthenware vessels, the strong are not always vigorous. The wise are not always ready. The brave are not always courageous. The joyous are not always happy. And he says, is any man altogether sane? Are we not all a little off balance? And so so this is the other end of the scale with the clay that we're dealing with. Okay, any question or comment right there? These are the reasons for the study. We want to meet ourselves as we come into the Word of God and begin to see how God works and deals with men. Any question or comment right here? Before we move on, just take a moment. Amen. You got a question or comment? You want to jump in here? This just by way of introduction. Amen. Okay? So everybody's got this down pat. You can do the test, the big exam at the end of the class. Then, so why did we do this class? Okay. Everybody got it? Okay. We want to meet ourselves here. Let's look at Joseph. Joseph, very interesting character. And so if you, uh, if I could get somebody to read for us Psalm 105, verses 17 to 22. Somebody in a good, clear, loud voice. Volunteer for us. Somebody quickly. Right back here in the back, Casey. Psalm 105, verses 17 through 22. It's in the Bible. <laughs> Page four of my notes. Go ahead. 
is a very short summary in the book of Psalms of Joseph's life. How many of you remember anything about Joseph? Any of you? So what what do you remember? Quickly. Pete. Okay, so he's sold into slavery by his brothers who didn't like him. Okay, anybody else remember anything about Joseph? Okay, there was something about the end of his life that God was concerned about. Okay, so in a vision, in a dream, he uh, he had uh, he saw different kinds of things. Saw uh, shocks of uh, grain bowing down. Saw the sun, the moon, the stars all bowing down to him, and so he had some kind of an idea of a destiny of power or something like that. <clears throat> okay, so it's two steps forward, three steps back, and so he uh, everything's going backwards. Right back here. Okay, so even in the uh, obscure or private areas, he had tremendous integrity. Anybody else? Uh, It put iron into his soul. Okay, so he suffered adversity, and that did something inside of him. That's what what you're saying. Okay, he had adversity. How many of you have had any adversity in your life? Only a half a dozen of you. Okay, praise God. The rest of you are going to get yours. Amen. Adversity did something to him. Okay? It did something to him. Who else wants to remember? All of you are avoiding your Sunday school lesson. What was the Sunday school lesson? What did you learn about? Okay. So he was unjustly accused by this... uh, big-eyed babe with the long eyebrows and eyelashes and everything that were batting in the breeze. Okay. Bushy eyebrows and long eyelashes. Okay. Problem is, when the eyelashes are flapping there, you don't see the bushy eyebrows which are going to beat you up. Rodney. Okay. So let's, let's think about that. He made no mistake. Is that true? No. <laughs> Why is that not true? <laughs> where, do, where was the mistake? Did he make a mistake? <laughs> okay, so he's in prison. He befriends people. And, uh, and so uh, he says, remember me. And they say, yeah, no problem. We'll remember you. And they forgot him. Okay, so uh, this happens to him. But uh, he says there's a period of time there where perhaps bitterness was moving in his life. How did, how did Joseph begin? Where does this story pick up? Where, where does the story of Joseph begin? Where does it begin? Back here in the back. At the beginning, that's good. <laughs> it begins at the beginning. Okay, go ahead. Amen. <laughs> All right, so it begins at the beginning. What involved, what do you remember about Joseph as a young kid? Pride? His dad liked him. And what did his dad do for him? Gave him a special coat. Okay, let's get some scriptures here. Uh, Genesis 37. Somebody, quickly, we need some volunteers. Come on, let's, uh, let's get involved today. Amen. Woody, amen. I knew if I looked at you long enough, you'd volunteer. Genesis 37, <laughs> verses 3 and 4. Okay. Need Genesis 37, 8. Somebody else. Uh, Denny, if you do that. 37, 10. Somebody else. 
want to do that. And uh, 37, 18, and 19, uh, right over here, uh, Bill. Okay, so here he is, uh, Genesis 37, verses 3 and 4. All right, so here he is. This is the initial uh, conflict here. He's uh, loved by his father. His father makes him a coat of many colors. And the uh, reading there in uh, some commentaries is that he made him a coat and continued to make him a coat, which meant he never ended in blessing this son. Okay? All the other kids, they had, you know, they had one set of clothes in their closet. This guy had unending clothes. And so it's obvious that there's something happening here. And so that immediately provokes a conflict with his brothers. Verse 8, Genesis 37, 8. Okay, so they hate him because he's favored. Now he comes on the scene and says, I've had a dream. And uh, it's an amazing thing, but uh, uh, everybody's bowing down to me. That's, that's totally astounding. And so uh, they hate him all the more. Okay, uh, verse 10. Okay, and so now it's not enough that he provokes his brothers. Now he provokes his mom and dad. And says, uh, and so his father rebukes him, verses 18 and 19. <laughs> He's got a different translation, Brother Lamb does. He's got the soul translation, amen. <laughs> okay. Or the master of dreams is coming. So one of the things that you're looking at here is youth. Okay? I want to draw a distinction because uh, we all start there. Amen? And most of us remain there. Someone has said half the world is under 30. The other half's trying to act that way. And so... Uh, Youth is not the problem. Immaturity is. Okay. Bible is largely a youth movement. Revival is largely a youth movement. There are some things that youth don't get. Now, I know this is going to be rather offensive if you're practicing youth right now, but there's something that... You know, when you get... When, you get, when you're a parent and teenagers... Enter your home. Fear, trepidation, great deals of mental anguish begin to transpire because you know something. Okay? Most of us don't remember when we were two, three, four, five years old or don't remember very much. Most of us remember a whole lot about when we were a teenager. And we see. That, uh, that 11 or 12 year old girl putting on all the blue eyeshadow and all the, the rouge and everything. And all of a sudden, wow, the alarms go off. I <laughs> said, so what is happening? Okay, so we remember some things. The other thing that older people, shall we say more mature, that sounds good. <laughs> so we know or hopefully have learned that behavior goes somewhere. Is that true? Behavior leads somewhere. And that's why when we begin to look at this. So there's an immaturity here of perspective. It's unwise. He's unwise in his speech. 
And he lacks a perspective, perhaps, about what's happening. God's sending him ahead. Why is God sending him into Egypt? He just told his brothers, it's so you'll all bow down to me. Okay, that's what he said. Why is God sending him? To preserve Israel. Now, this is, this, is a, this is a difference in perspective here. Later on, he's going to say, don't, don't worry, God sent me ahead to preserve a posterity, to preserve you and to preserve this remnant. Okay? Now, our mind, in this immature perspective, he sees it. They're all bowing down. They're all bowing down. And we think that life is oriented around us. Okay? And it's an amazing thing. People with talent, people with ability, people with drive, people with ambition, people with a calling, many times feel that that is, this is for me. Okay? I'm going to be famous. I'm going to be a hero. I'm going to be the great, uh, the great one. Okay, and yet God's perspective is totally different. That that perspective is to save. And that's what God's doing. God's working way out into the future. Right? I say, Joseph is really about the first leader in the Old Testament. Talk about a leader of a nation. This man. Abraham's a great man, but, but you see, Abraham's the father of the nation, but by the time we're 200 years down the road from father, from father Abraham being the father of the nation and all that transpiring, the whole nation still lives in one tent. One tent. So God's going to take that and He's going to put that down in this, in this uh, uh, peaceful and this prosperous land of Egypt and they're going to develop into a very powerful nation. And Joseph's instrumental in that, in saving that. In saving that seed. But you see, when he's talking to his brothers, and yeah, I think you can pick up from the story that they're highly irritated about this whole thing. They're, they're upset. They hate him to begin with. Okay? And then he comes on this scene, and now they hate him even more. There's, an, there's a perspective that is lacking in this young man's life. There's a immaturity of speech. And very interesting that, uh, that uh, uh, you know, have you ever got, when you were young, I know it's not recently, have you ever gotten a fight because of something you said? A few of you? Two or three of you? Because your mouth was... Loose, well lubricated, operating constantly. Okay? And there's going to come a time in Joseph's life when he's going to bite his lip, I can tell you. And he's not going to say just anything that pops in his brain. That's going to come. That's going to come. There's an, there's an immaturity of expectation. Causes him to stir up both his brothers and his parents. He's able to provoke them both to envy and wrath. Eventually provokes his brothers. They want to kill him. And he has no idea where the rashness of his life is going to take him. His rashness. Has no idea. 
Everything, if you can grasp this, this guy is born with the silver spoon in his mouth. Okay? This guy has no problems. This guy gets anything that he wants from his dad who uh, is able to bless him and is reasonably prospered and uh, has all the other uh, family members uh, uh, tending the flocks, tending the, the sheep and tending the goats and doing all the work and all the labor. And this guy has it made. And I'm sure that as a young man, he really felt that that's the way it was going to go most of his life. Amen? Most of his life. And so we have these things that are beginning to crop up in his life. There's an immaturity here. There's something that's happening that's going to propel him. God's going to work on this. Okay? How many of you know God doesn't leave us the way we are? How many of you are glad that God saved you the way you were, but He didn't leave you that way? Okay? Because God has greater and greater things for you and I. Okay, so let's uh, look at this uh, aspect. Any question or comment right there? So we're beginning to focus in right here. Yes. Okay, here's a tremendous scripture. God was with him. Very plainly stated in the scripture and in the story of Joseph's life, God was with him. Okay. Uh, he's going to uh, go through a different kind of an educational process. He's not going to go down here to the university. He's going to go to the school of hard knocks. That's where he's going. And so he's going to have an interesting uh, thing that comes into his life. Joseph experienced now. Here's this raw lump of clay. It's uh, spinning out of control. It's rash, it's impetuous, it, uh, it uh, operates, whatever comes into its brain, that's how it's functioning. Uh, children, uh, how many of you know children, they don't like to change their clothes? Okay? You ever, you ever raise any, any, any of your kids ever have the thing? They, they got one pair of pants, one shirt, one, one uh, uh, pair of shorts, or something, and that's what they wear. Okay? Kids don't, don't like to change. They ain't into change. Okay? It's not what they're doing. And so, but God is into change. And so uh, God begins to deal with this boy. And there's some things that happen in his life. Now, what are some things that happen? Anybody recall here? What happens? What's it, what's, give me an example. What experience came into his life? He was sold into slavery. Okay? Who sold him? His brothers, okay? They sold him because they hated him. Now, that's about the ultimate in rejection, would you say? Okay, when your own family, your dad rebukes you and then your brothers sell you, they actually were going to kill him. They really thought, let's kill him. And then one of them had a brilliant idea, no, let's sell him and make some money on this deal. And so they sold him. That's about as rejected as it comes at a dysfunctional home right here. Okay. What else? A couple of other things important. He lost his coat. <laughs> Not once, but twice. Okay? He provoked some people the first time they ripped it off of him. The second time, what were that? What was that? 
See? Potiphar's wife, he had to run out of his coat and leave it behind. So there's a, a, uh, a liaison there. There's, a, there's an ambush in, uh, in his life. And uh, what else? The prison experience. We have these three major experiences in his life. Now, it happened over the next 17 to 25 years during a time when most people drop out. I need to, to hear what's happening. Most people during this period of time, this is between the vision and the destiny, most people drop out. Now, last year... Uh, many, many articles I picked up on Billy Graham, and you may have heard uh, this illustration, but it bears repeating. Uh, he, it was his 50 years since he became the first evangelist for uh, Youth for Christ, uh, began to preach in 1945, filled auditoriums of 30,000 people, uh, first full-time uh, evangelist in Youth for Christ. So it's 50 years. Uh, many articles about Billy Graham uh, appeared last year. Uh, but in 1945, when he began, there were two other preachers who are filling auditoriums. One was Chuck Templeton. The other was Braun Clifford. Templeton, one seminary president, said, he is the most gifted and talented young man in America today for preaching. And the National Association of Evangelicals called him one of the best-used men of God and never mentioned Graham. This man had just as big a crowds as Billy Graham. The other one, Clifford, Braun Clifford, one man said at the age of 25, young Clifford touched more lives, influenced more leaders, set more attendance records than any other clergyman his age in American history. National leaders vied for his attention. He was tall, handsome, intelligent, eloquent. Hollywood invited him to audition for a part in the, or for the part of Marcellus in The Robe. It seemed as if he had everything. Okay. That's the, that's, that's the beginning. Okay, five years later, Templeton left the ministry disillusioned, bitter, and faithless. Just five years of the School of Hard Knocks. And nine years later, Clifford was divorced, addicted to alcohol, living in a ruined-down section of Amarillo, Texas. Uh, he died at 35 years of age of cirrhosis of the liver. I say, most people, when they move into this dimension of their life, this is where they drop out. You see, God is working something. The Scripture uh, in Psalms says that He was laid in iron. And many commentators uh, take that phraseology and that terminology and saying that His soul began to be laid in iron, or His soul had iron come into it by the things that He endured, by this adversity that came into his line. Another man did a survey of 49 Bible leaders. 49 Bible leaders. There's probably over a thousand mentioned in the Bible, but he did 49, have a fairly good history beginning through their completion. He divided them into four categories. Those that were cut off, those that uh, ended badly, those that ended okay, and those that finished or completed the work. Those that were cut off because of the devil or because of their own self-destruction, Samson, Ahab, John the Baptist, Absalom, they never 
ended, never got to a completion. Their lives were cut off. Those that ended badly, these went down. They were going down at the end of their relationship with God. Their leadership had failed. The people were not following them as they should or their relationship with God had failed. Gideon, Eli, Saul, Solomon, and people like that. Others had only mediocre ends, and you can uh, put in here probably David and Hezekiah, who uh, had tremendous uh, impact. But at the end of their life, the ending of their life, things were not like they were. There had been some setback, there had been some conflict, there had been some uh, sin, there had been an error, there had been a mistake, and so all their, li their lives were rising. They leveled off or even began to kind of plateau lower and lower at the end of their life. And then there are those who completed the work, strong, close to God at the end. Joseph is one of these, Abraham, Jeremiah, Daniel, Paul, Peter. Most of them drop out. Okay? Because this process, the process that's necessary for all. Okay? Iron came into their soul. Okay? So this is the molding and the shaping process of the kingdom of God. God is at work. Somebody has said life. That's what happens when you plan something else. Okay? Life. God told Jeremiah, he said, I want you to go down to the potter's house. It's a very powerful uh, truth here. God's at work. I want you to go down to the potter's house. And that's where you'll hear the word of the Lord. That is in the common affairs of life. I want you to go down to this very common place, the potter. This is one of the central uh, 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 marketing uh, areas of the, of the Old Testament. The potter is very important. Uh, everybody had pots and vessels in their homes. Uh, and so you're talking about a place of commerce. You're talking about a place of life. You're talking about a place of activity. You're talking about the city center. You go down there. I'll talk to you there. In the common, common affairs of life. That's where the Word of God is going to come into your life. And talk to you. This is El Olam. This is the God uh, from age to age. This is the God who's working behind the scenes and developing and uh, connecting everything together. Okay? So this is in the common processes of life. It means change. How many of you ever heard your kids say, No, don't raise your hand? How many of you ever said, Don't raise your hand again? When I grow up, no one's going to tell me what to do. So here you are, all grown up, the whole world's telling you what to do. Okay? Everybody tells you what to do. Your boss tells you what to do. The radio tells you what to do. The IRS tells you what to do. Your husband or wife tells you what to do. Your kids tell you what to do. Okay? There's a process in our lives. Okay, any question or comment right here? How's this work? What's happening? Anybody ever go through any of this? Nobody? Anybody in adversity? Okay, life is rough, but God is good. That don't sound like the Bible. Well, read the story of Joseph. Okay? God is good. God is at work. And if you can begin to grasp that God is at work, okay, and that changes all the dynamics. 
begin to understand, hey, you know what? God has a place for my life. Has a place. And that really helps us. Anybody else want to comment right here? Feel free. Amen. Okay. So how does that apply to today? We can look back and see God brought us through. How does that work now? Okay. So when we're young, we're uh, full of vigor and vitality and think we're bigger than any problem in life. Okay. God tempers us. Okay. So here's a powerful truth. One day, God can undo everything and make it right. It's very interesting that we do constantly say, it's not fair, it's not fair. And uh, we uh, seemingly suffer through injustices. And so when you look back, you begin to see God's at work. Okay, now listen, God hasn't died. Okay, so when you're in the trial today, God's still alive. And He is still at work. And His purposes are still salvation and the preserving of that godly remnant. He's still into that. God's still doing that. And God is laying our soul in iron. It's good. If we could uh, look at this. Lamentations 3.27. I'll just give you the scripture. It's good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. This is to labor in obscurity and to labor at minimal reward. That's a very strong discipline that comes into our life. Okay, And that's very good for that to happen. We see uh, that it does something in the, in the young and in the youthful uh, and in our own lives. Uh, you think that because you're past 25 uh, that uh, immaturity may not be a problem, but you need to be listening. Listen, okay? If you're continually doing like Joseph and stirring up strife everywhere you go, now we'll move on. And, uh, okay, so it's good to bear the yoke in you, to flee youthful lust. And so this is 2 Timothy 2.22. To flee youthful lust. And so, uh, sold into slavery. Here's uh, uh, Potiphar's wife. And so, here's the lust. And here's the uh, things that are happening. Moses, when he came of age, turned aside from the pleasures of Egypt. Okay? To endure affliction with the people of God. Okay? Here's something that's happening in his life. To reign in the carnal, to deal with the, the uh, carnal things, or to learn how to deal and operate in relationships. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. Paul says, I want to talk to you as spiritual people, but you're carnal babes. Okay? And so this, uh, he says, I want to feed you with solid food, but you're not able to receive it because there's envy, strife, divisions, uh, and because I see that, I know that you're still behaving literally as immature men. Okay? And so there's that. And then there's the waiting that is involved in this. What happens to us is we have to deal. Failure, one man said, to get a right viewpoint in the beginning of our Christian lives may result in weakness and sterility for the rest of our days. Okay? The inadequacy of much of our spiritual experience can be traced back to our habit of skipping through the corridors of the kingdom like children through the marketplace, chattering about everything, pausing to learn the true value of nothing. Question or comment before we close? Yes, Aaron. Ah, a potter. Okay. 
tremendous insight. So here's Joseph. Up, down, up, down, up, down. Ever have your own life seem like that? Maybe God's trying to get some, what was that word? Crud out? <laughs> Lord bless you. We'll continue next week. Amen.